Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey everyone, it's Pacific. If you like the show and you like what we do, consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to help our show reach new listeners. And if you really, really like the show, consider becoming a member. For just $5 a month, you can get early and ad-free access to not only Out of Place, but other Midnight Disease shows like The Theater of Tomorrow, The Hotel, and, arriving next week, Margaret's Garden. All this and much, much more at midnightdisease.net slash join. And, without further ado, this week's episode... When I think about what we don't know, it scares me. There are thousands of archaeological artefacts in the Carruthers Institute. Some of them will eventually be poured over and poked at by historians who will deduce the Romans in Britain kept olive oil in amphoras of a certain shape or the value of the double florin was less than previously thought. But it's the questions they can't answer that hit me sometimes. Who were the people who made and used all these pieces of pottery or spent all these coins? If we met one of them, would they be familiar or completely alien? I wonder what the point of history is, sometimes, if we can never get closer than the vaguest brush with the actual experience our fellow humans had. Maybe it was those kind of thoughts that made me ditch the degree, although I suspect it was getting smashed three times a week. I've become quite adept at pushing that kind of thing to the back of my mind when I sit down to start feeding the computer its data, like I did this morning. It was almost lunchtime when Miss Arundel trotted down the steps into the basement. She'd brought me a cup of tea, which I actually appreciated. Now I know she's not on a fruitless quest to get into my boxes, I realise she really does just try to be nice. 
We chatted about television shows and the weather, and then she mentioned there was a letter for me, and dropped it on my desk. Of course, it was in plain brown paper, addressed in that neat robotic hand. It was indeed for me, the head archivist of the Carruthers Institute. It was slightly smaller than an A4 size and slim. I didn't want to open it, but of course, I did. The card slipped out. I have a collection of them now, all saying, For the attention of the Carruthers Institute, and signed, Mr. Havisham. Inside the package was an issue of Time magazine. I've never read Time magazine. I only really know it for the whole man of the year thing they do. Most of the people who read it are in the States. It's been going almost a hundred years, which I didn't realise. This particular issue was from September 1971. The cover story was about the Attica prison riot. The issue was a bit dog-eared and felt old, so I'm guessing it was original and not a reprint or a facsimile. The riot at the Attica Correctional Facility in New York State was a pretty filthy business. While pretending to negotiate, the authorities sent hundreds of police officers to storm the place and take it back from the inmates. After the tear gas had cleared and the guns fell silent, more than 40 people were dead. The magazine had a bunch of articles commenting on what happened and the people it happened to, plus the lessons to be learned. Looking back, a lot of those lessons still haven't been listened to today. It was a tough read, but as far as I could tell, it was exactly the same event that happened in our timeline. So whatever Mr Havisham wanted me to see, it wasn't the cover story. The other stories were from a time Richard Nixon was president and the US was gradually pulling out of Vietnam while the brutal tedium of war continued. Conflict in the Middle East and Northern Ireland, the Soviet Union's brutality against dissenters, a new director taking over the New York Philharmonic, lots of book reviews and lots and lots of economics. It was all a bit grim in that brown and beige 1970s way. If... I'm being honest, it bored me to the point where cataloguing a shoebox full of medieval buckles would have been a relief. I found a list of contents online. It all matched up except for one article. In our world... God, I still have difficulty thinking of that idea. Our world. Not the other one. Somewhere else. A different world separated by... By space? time? Some magical barrier we can't see? It's one of those things I know I shouldn't think about too much, which of course means I think about it all the bloody time. Anyway, in our world, there was an article about phosphate washing powder. In that other place, where this issue of time had been published, there was instead a story about the work of a doctor named Erica Sandoval. A Chilean epidemiologist working in the Republic of the Congo, which was about to be renamed Zaire. She was in the capital, Kinshasa. She had identified a particular disease that was occurring among the city's semi-skilled workers and traced the means of transmission. This then let her draw up a sort of map or family tree of who gave the disease to whom and then contain it so it didn't spread any further. According to the article... Sandoval had elected to remain in the city until she could be sure that new cases weren't occurring. 
She was quoted as saying it was too early to say the outbreak was eradicated and that her work might never be done in a city like Kinshasa, which had two million people with health needs that changed every day. The article's main point was how Sandoval's work could be used as the model for future interventions in the spread of new or mysterious diseases. The World Health Organization had sponsored her through its Special Programme for Research and Training in Tropical Diseases, and used her results as, as an example of how the WHO could be successful in stopping epidemics before they began, with the right information and techniques. Two things bugged me about the article. Part of it was that it wasn't from our reality, so there must have been something about it out of kilter with the world I knew. Erica Sandoval certainly wasn't the only person doing heroic things in forgotten places for people the world didn't know existed. What made her presence in one world and not the other so special? The other was the article's vagueness. Time magazine's journalists seemed to pride themselves on being as thorough and dull as possible, but a lot of what Sandoval had done in Kinshasa wasn't actually described. The means of transmission, for instance, was presumably key to her containing the disease, but the author didn't say what it was. It didn't describe the victims of the disease either, which was a big missed opportunity to shoehorn a cheap human interest angle into the story. So I looked up Kinshasa and epidemics, and I found it. Sometime in the early 20th century, no one's sure exactly when, a disease suffered by chimpanzees in Central Africa jumped the species barrier and infected humans. In 1959, it killed a man whose tissue samples later confirmed him as the first known fatality. In about 1968, it made it to the USA, either directly from Africa or via Haiti, and in 1980, it really started spreading. American doctors worked out the disease was caused by a particular virus in 1984. The virus crippled the body's immune system, so the patient was vulnerable to other diseases that ordinarily weren't dangerous. It was in bodily fluids and was passed on by sex, needle sharing and blood transfusions, meaning it tended to infect particular communities like gay men and drug users that society at large would rather not think about, let alone make a priority. It wasn't just an illness. It grabbed a particular group of people, the more vulnerable the better, and ripped them apart, all while seeming to confirm the prejudices of the people who hated them. The virus was called HIV, and the disease was called AIDS. The means of transmission wasn't mentioned in the Time article because the mysterious Kinshasa disease was spread by sex. The semi-skilled workers were sex workers. The delicate sensibilities of American readers might be offended by graphic depictions of sex work and the fluids involved, so they were airbrushed out of the text. I've often wondered what it would have been like to have lived through the AIDS epidemic. Never knowing who would get it next or when it would come for you. Not having any idea of how to protect myself or the people I cared about. Being sure only that something terrible was loose among us, killing us, while making us less human in the eyes of the people who thanked God it wasn't preying on them. If our history had been blessed with Erica Sandoval, we would have been spared all that. When I think of everything the AIDS epidemic changed, sexual politics, healthcare, 
the hatred and subhumanity gays and drug addicts still suffer, I wonder how different the world would be without it. Maybe there would be negatives to a world without AIDS, but could they really compare to the people who died and the suffering of the people they left behind? AIDS is an open, bleeding wound in our history. I can't imagine our present or our culture without it. But the world of this Time magazine, though the authors never knew it, had none of that. Erika Sandoval contained AIDS before it could reach a critical mass where its sudden spread was inevitable. There was still something bothering me. Something other than the horror of a time I was so lucky not to have experienced firsthand. The world of this issue of Time magazine, where HIV had been contained and eradicated in Kinshasa, was better than ours. Certainly I couldn't think of many ways it could be worse. Everything the project had sent me before suggested a 21st century where a change in the past had resulted in a darker present. But not this time. Erika Sandoval had made the future brighter. Was this just a random example of an artefact that happened to improve the lot of humanity while most of them do the opposite? Was it a result of my being a hopeless pessimist and interpreting everything I received from the project as grimly as possible? Or was it a sort of message? The project must have a reason to send me the strange things they do. This one in particular could be them trying to tell me something. If so, it's a code I can't crack. Are they saying they aren't all bad? Trying to reassure me that the next brown paper package won't necessarily contain a window into some horror made by a change to the history I know. Or maybe that they do more than just observe other timelines and swipe a few choice artefacts to prove it. Maybe it wasn't the WHO bankrolling Dr. Sandoval. Maybe it was the project who have found a way to reach out and meddle in historical events, not just record them. That concept is so insane I dare not even contemplate it. I've started to look into the project. All I have to go on is a name, Caroline Beckman. I've researched her as much as I can without risking her noticing. There's someone by that name working as a theoretical physicist at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, which automatically puts her in a handful of the world's smartest people. She's 49 years old and married with one child. There's a picture of her on the MIT website. She looks intense. I found some papers she wrote, but they're the kind of dense mathematics that might as well be finger-painting for all the sense I can make of it. There's nothing I could find that links her to any exclusion area research project or any specific project at all. And again, who knows what an MIT researcher gets up to that isn't public knowledge. For all I know, she's building flying saucers for the US military and an amateur like me isn't going to be able to find any trace of it. If it's the same woman who signed the contract between the project and the Carruthers Institute, then I can't find any link except that signature. Of course, there could be multiple Caroline Beckmans out there and I might be looking into the wrong one entirely, or it's a fake name. But she's the only lead I have, so as far as my research skills go, they're being invested in her. A copy of Time magazine went into the archives like usual. And like all the weird things I received from the project, I can feel it there, sitting in the dark and the dust, 
radiating the wrongness of a world I don't live in. This one's different, though. I don't feel malice or misery from it. I feel the weight of the project. The power it must have. The gulf between what it must know and the scraps it's doled out to me. The way it can reach into my life, throw everything I think I know into doubt and leave nothing but a name that might not have anything to do with any of this. I feel small and helpless. I feel like I barely exist, compared to the infinity of the multiple worlds I barely glimpse through the project's artefacts. <sighs> this is the kind of thinking that will break me down if I let it. I'll type all this up and leave out the guesswork. If anyone ever reads this, they'll have to come up with their own philosophical crisis. Even though I'll try to leave the magazine out of my thoughts, I know they'll drift back to our world and the way it could have been so much better if Erika Sandoval had gone to Kinshasa to make a difference. I know I will hold Mike closer and thank whatever gods there are where a generation that didn't go through what the previous one did. I will imagine a world so much better than this one. And maybe I'll even sleep. Out of Place was created by Ben Counter. Sound design was done by Pacific Esobadaya. If you like this show, consider checking out other Midnight Disease productions like The Theater of Tomorrow, The Hotel, Lake Clarity, SCP Archives, and Margaret's Garden. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.